Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Well, this morning, as we look again at the fruit of the Spirit, it says in Galatians chapter 5, it's in verse 22, and I'm just going to look at 22a, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. Love is that unconquerable, undefeatable quality that God puts in us to, to love people that don't deserve it, to love people that don't even qualify, to love people that we would say are unlovely. And God puts a courageous quality on the inside of us that only comes through him. And the Greek word is agape. Agape is that, that the love of God that flows through you into the lives of other people. I like the fact that he starts off with love in the fruit of the Spirit. Because love is the quality of all of the fruit. It's the foundation, if you will, for all the fruit to flow. It has to flow through love. And we must not forget that God is love. You cannot get a bigger word than love because you can't have a bigger person than God. God is love. And when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we have to remember that we're talking about the Spirit of God moving through us. Have you ever loaned somebody something and didn't get it back? Think about the money. Man, if you're any kind of a, 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 a tradie or anything like that, somebody says, oh, I need, a, I need to borrow some tools. It's like, well, you're not borrowing mine because I work with mine. I need my tools. And as a tradesperson, you look after your tools because they're the tools of your trade. So chances are you're not going to be too keen to loan somebody all your tools because if you don't get them back, you're not going to be able, be able to work. I've loaned people things and, you know, money and everything else. We used to loan things here as a church, but we wouldn't get them back. We loaned some chairs out once for somebody's uh, party, and they used them to paint on the next, that next week, so there's paint all over it. Had to go collect the chairs ourselves. <laughs> they were all, can we, can we borrow those chairs? It'll save us a lot of money. And so we did that, and then as a board, we made a decision, never again, not, not going to happen. You can just go hire those things. But sometimes people don't pay you back because they forget. They're innocent about the whole thing. And whatever you loan them, you don't get it back just purely because they've forgotten. Or maybe did they just decide to keep it conveniently. When it comes to the things of God, I, uh, I want to share with you something about God and about love that I believe this morning will just rock your boat a bit, but, but change your life. It certainly has mine. One thing I don't like, and I don't like lending stuff out and not getting it back, but another thing I don't like is being in debt. I hate to be in debt for about anything. My wife hates it even worse. <laughs> and the fact is that as long as you live in this world, you're going to be in debt. You think, oh, that's not true. I, I, I paid off my debt. I, 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 like, we've worked hard, and we're, we're out of debt. Now, you didn't hear me. As long as you live, you're going you're gonna to be in debt. And I want to go over to Romans 
chapter 13. Because I hate being in debt, but reading this scripture here lets me know I'm always going to be in debt for one thing. Romans 13, verse 8. Oh, no, man, anything. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Except <laughs> to love one another. For he or she who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, this is loaded. This is absolutely, absolutely loaded, this scripture. I'm not going to teach uh, probably too in-depth on it except to say, you're in debt. You got a debt to pay for the rest of your life. And this is a debt that we dare not forget. You'll always have a debt to pay. And because there's no bigger word than the word love, there's no bigger debt that you have than to love someone else. Oh, but I qualified that because what if they're unlovely? What if they're mean? What if they're an enemy? Well, God goes all the way with that one. You got no way out of that debt, regardless of who that person is. You're indebted to love them. So I've got some good news, though. Bad news, I guess, would be we're in debt, but I got some good news. That God actually gives you what it takes to make the payment. It's pretty interesting how you can't make payments of love unless God provides them. You see, this debt to love the unlovely, it's not like, and we talked about that last week, like is a whole different thing. God hasn't called us to like people per se. He's called us to love people. That's a whole nother level. And unless God makes those payments on that debt, then most of us are not going to be able, we're not going to be able to do that. Just as God paid a tax debt for disciples through a gold coin and a fish's mouth, God wants to supernaturally help you make the payments on the debt of love. You say, well, how, how does he do that? He gives us provision. In fact, that provision is what we're talking about. It's actually the fruit of the Spirit. So God gives us that provision. The way God provides is by producing fruit in, in your life. That's why this is so important. This whole series, it's starting to, to, to flow into some amazing things. But love, again, is the foundation. Love is the foundation of joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. All, all the other uh, aid of the other spirit, uh, spiritual fruit is based upon this one right here, love. The fruit of the Spirit is God's way of paying the debt that you owe to love others. So he empowers you to love. And as your fruit grows, it gets big, then the Spirit flowing through you starts to even flow more. As you start to uh, acknowledge that debt, that I have this debt to pay, and I'm not going to renege on it. I'm not going to pull back from it. I'm going to embrace it, but I, but I have to rely on the Spirit of God, or I can't pay this debt, which means that I have to draw from the vine, because I'm a branch. I have to draw from the vine that's, that's Jesus Christ. I have to draw from the vine for, for the Spirit of God to flow through me as a branch, so that fruit can go out there to Extend the love of God to unlovely people so they can come and they can eat off of my life, off the fruit of my life with gentleness and patience and kindness and, and all of these things. It's not me going, ah, 
It's not behavioral science. Sometimes I, I, I hear the fruit of the Spirit preached as if it were, as if the, uh, the resources to do this is going to come from me. I don't have it. Neither do you. I'm a debtor. But I've got to forgive those who are in debt. I've got to forgive those who trespass against me. As God forgave me my debts, of course, I have to then forgive others and let that flow. You increase your fruit by leaving yourself no other option <laughs> except to love. John 15, 17 says this, this is my command, not an option, guys, not a suggestion. This is my command, love each other. Well, you see, when love becomes an option, and it's not taken as a command. When, when love is an option instead of an obligation, it stops flowing. And this is the way that, sad to say, so many people take the commandment to love and, and, and forget about the, oh, no, man, anything except to love one another. They, they don't acknowledge that I'm in debt to do this. It's not like I've got a choice, really, if I don't do it. Of course, you know, not doing it, but you're disobedient to God. Optional love always finds a way not to flow. So loving people and loving God must never be an option in my life. It's always an obligation. It's always a debt that I must pay for every breath as long as I'm alive. God, God commands me two things, love him and love people. In any situation that you have, you've got two options. You can either love that person as an obligation, or you can take the option and tap out and not love them and not extend grace and, and, and not extend mercy and just, just ignore it. Treat it like it's optional. You can't truly love people, however, without truly loving God. Now, this is, uh, this is quite incredible because we won't go back to uh, Romans 13, but it says, oh, no, man, anything except to love one another. The word uh, another there is alas. It means another of the same kind. But he switches words for another. He says, for he who loves another, which, which is uh, heteros, which means another of a different kind, where we get heterosexual from, it's, that's, that's somebody that's contrary to you. That's somebody that's unlovely. That's not a like. That's somebody that, that is abrasive, perhaps. They're a hater, whatever. And Jesus goes to the extent of saying, look, if they hit you one way, turn the other cheek. If they say, carry this one mile, carry it too. Do good to those who use you and abuse you and don't like you, if you will. Without God's love, however, that's not possible. I, I can't do that. But with God's love, it's not only possible, but it's expected. When it comes to love, we've always got it back to front. It's, the fruit of love is a result of his person, not your performance. It's not studying the fruit and, and claiming that as your performance or trying to perform up to the fruit of love and up to the fruit of joy and, and, and up to the fruit of patience. Oh, oh i got to be more patient. Ah, patience, come out. It's, it's a flow. It's a flow of the Spirit of God. It's not a performance. Love, the, the fruit of the Spirit is not a performance. 
It's a, it's a product of God's Spirit flowing through your life. It's, a, it's an outcome of walking in the Spirit of God and drawing from the source and, and acknowledging without any uh, option, I acknowledge my obligation to love that person. I look at somebody, and I've looked at a lot of people that were unlovely over my lifetime. I'm sure that many of you have too. Uh, I've had people hurl abuse at me and call me Names that the preacher will never mention from the pulpit, the F words and the C words and every other word in between, I've been called it for just loving God. And many of you have too. And I look at that and I go, I can't love that person. And, and the man in me, the, oh, I don't know what, the pride in me just wants to belt him in the head. I'm going to show you a bit of love, all right? Like, uh, you know, I'll love you. I'll love you with the brick or something. I don't know. With some words back. I know how to swear. I swore a lot in my time before Jesus got a hold of my vocabulary. I know all those words. You got the wrong guy if you think you, I'm going to cop that. And then God says, wait a minute. What about the debt that you have to love a, a, another of a different kind? <sighs> I don't like it. I hate it. God, no. God says, this is, your, this is a debt. This is an obligation. It's not an option. If you leave yourself uh, and love as an option, you're not going to do it. You're going to tap out, take another course. You're, you're going you're to deviate from God's plan in your life. But love for God produces the love of God. That's what's flowing through your life. John 14, 15 in the Passion Translation says this, just the beginning part of this just really caught me. It says, Jesus talking, loving me empowers you. It says it again in, in uh, verse 23, I think it is. Loving me empowers you to obey my command. Loving me, he says, empowers you to fulfill my word. Loving me, Jesus says, the vine empowers you, the branch, to do what you can't do in the natural, that we don't want to do, that our flesh fights against us to do it. Loving me empowers you. Let it flow. It's not a product of looking at the fruit from the outside and grunting and straining, trying to get a, a, a fruit of love on the, on the branch. It's loving him empowers you. More than anything else, God loves people. That's why God hates sin so much. And he's got a whole lot of things written about sin because sin is what's hurting humanity. Anything that hurts God's kids, God hates it. There's no, there's no you know, adultery. What does that do? It hurts marriages. It hurts children. It hurts husbands. It hurts wives. It hurts Families, why is God against that? Well, you know, it feels good. Everybody's doing it, you know. Fornication, same deal. All of these things. Why does God hate it? Why is God so against it? Because God loves people, and that hurts people. Whether it's lying or stealing or murder, whatever it is, it all hurts people. Therefore, it hurts the heart of God. God's commandments are to protect people. We don't want to do that. It's like, ah, it's an obligation. It's a commandment. Love him, and then it flows on to love people. It's a flow. The fruit comes from a flow 
of the Spirit of God. And God says, no, I haven't asked you to do this. I'm not, would you please, come on, guys. Like, it's a commandment. You got to love one another. Not optional. Don't treat it like an option. I remember oh, a few weeks ago, one of the great movies of all time, my wife has watched it several times, Jaws. <laughs> Jaws 1, to be specific. I remember when that first came out back in the 70s, and I went to the theater to see it, and you know where the, that body pops out when they're swimming down there, and it's just, ah, everybody's afraid of the whole thing. Well, this guy was sitting behind us in the movie theater, I think it was 1975 or something. And, and he goes, oh, you guys are going to like this? Wait, it's coming, it's coming. Wait till you see this, 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 this torso is going to pop through the opening in the sunken boat. And I'm like, oh, man, what are you doing? Like, you're wrecking the whole movie. And so we got up, my, my buddy and I got up and left and moved to another spot. But there's one scene in Jaws, which I think is a classic. It's when... People are starting to get eaten by the shark. I'm not going to do a spoiler here. If you haven't seen Jaws, well, I don't know. Where have you been? Okay. <laughs> and the police commissioner, he's trying to protect the people, but he's got the mayor on his back because they don't want to shut the thing down because it's Fourth of July weekend or something in America, and all the tourists are coming to Am Amity or whatever the name of the little town is there. And... Uh, and the police commissioner's son is in a boat, they're kind of in a little bay kind of area, him and his, his little mates, they're in a boat there. And he says, I forget what the son's name is. Do you know what his son's name is? Michael. Okay, there you go. Tells you how many times she's seen the movie. And, and, and the, the police commissioner yells out, Michael, get out of there. And, and, and then the mother, Michael's mother's standing there, and she goes, Wow. It's don't worry, they're in a boat. Let him have some fun. It's the end of the school season, and he's worked hard for this deer. And the police commissioner has to obey his wife. <laughs> so he backs off. Well, okay. And she's got a book in her hand. It's a book on sharks. And Spielberg or whoever, you know, shows you, zooms in on this book. She's flipped, she's reading through it as she's talking, and I let him stay in the boat, flipping through there, and there's this picture. <laughs> it's this big shark biting a boat in half with people in it, falling out and about to get eaten. She looks at that, and then she goes, Michael, get out of the boat now! <laughs> and that's the way it is with with God and, and, and sin and what he's commanding us to do, it's not because he's a spoil sport. God's not out to spoil the party. But when your child's life is in danger, it's expected that you're going to obey your parents. Why? Because they, they know what you don't know. To get out of danger, you need to listen and obey the voice of God. Why? Because God loves you. Because God commands us to love him first. Not for, not for his good, but for our own good and for our good. <laughs> he gives us a shall, however, before he gives us a shall not. You shall love the Lord your God with all your 
strength, mind, and soul. Why? Why? Because God's got some big ego or something? No. He knows that you've got to look to him first because all of this is going to flow from the source, from the vine, all the way through. And, and, and loving God first is the most important thing. He gives you that shell, not a lot of shell nots. Imagine being married and all you hear from your partner is what you shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be doing. Oh, shall not, shall not, shall not. Well, that would get old after a while. But the big shall is love your, love your partner. God wants us to focus our affection on him, not our selfishness, what we think is right. When you stop approaching God as the sheriff or some kind of law enforcement person that's out there to get you, like a traffic policeman or something like that, when we stop approaching God as if he's just there to penalize us and make, make your life hell, when you stop approaching him that way, then his love starts to flow through you. When you understand God loves you unconditionally, God is for you Oh, so much for you, unconditionally. Everything he commands you is because he loves you. And this obligation, this debt, is not some big burden on your back. It's an obligation so that the love of God can flow through you into all those people in your life, your children, your spouse, of course, everybody at school, everybody at work, all of those people. When you start to draw from God's uh, from the source, God's power, he starts to pay that debt and fruit comes out uh, on, on the vine. It's, it's an amazing thing. So what does it mean to love God? So this is a big question that most people, yeah, but I want to love God. So what does that look like? Is it just, oh God, I love you so much. Is it just singing songs about how much you love God? I love you, I love you, I love you. How many times do I have to sing? I love you, I love God, I love you. Is just telling God how much you love him? If you walk up and down, I love you so much, I love you so much, I love you so much, because I'm supposed to do this, I have to. You told me to love you and love people. I love you, I love you, I love you. Well, I want to give you, I believe, which is, this is like a major key, it's something that's, release me into a whole new realm. To love God is to focus on what is right with God instead of what is wrong with you. See, focusing on what is wrong with you is like driving your car down a one-way street the wrong way. Focusing on what is right with God is called righteousness. It's a big word. And when it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to behold how beautiful he is and how perfect he is, like looking in a mirror and see how beautiful he sees you. Focusing on what is right with him and not what is wrong with you. Focusing on what is wrong with you, as in looking at the fruit and going, I don't have enough love. There's no love on the branch. There's no patience and yourself up about the fact that you don't have uh, all of that nine fruit of the Spirit and, and getting all guilty about it. Focusing on what is wrong with you has a word, it has a name, it's called shame. If you focus on, 
on the obligation to love people from the result that you see in your life by looking at you, which is where a lot of preaching goes. I hate it. Uh, I, you know, I hate sin, guilt, uh, that kind of preaching. You should be doing this, and you should be doing that. And I'll tell you another thing, based on the fruit of the Spirit, this is another thing that you should be doing. You should be loving people. And you should have more patience with your kids. And you should be kinder. Oh, wow. Face all scrunched up. Focusing on what you should be doing and how far short that you fall is going to lead you further into shame. And God's laws were never, never there to produce that. It's there to protect you and see and show you that this is, a, this is an obligation that you have. This is an expectation that you have for your good. And to love God is, is so much more, and I do, I sing songs about love, and I love that, and I pray to God, and I tell Him how much I love Him, and, and all of that's valid, and all of that is fantastic, but one of the greatest things about loving God is I look at perfect righteousness. Righteousness is perfect. He's perfect in all of His ways. God sent His Son Jesus so we could behold a human being walking out the righteousness of God, and then God says this about you. He says, you are the righteousness of God in my Son, in Christ Jesus. Loving God is focusing on what's right with God, not what is wrong with you. All have fallen short. All, all have fallen short of the glory of God. God says to Isaiah, the prophet, he says, your righteousness is filthy rags. But when you look into his righteousness and just how, how, how perfect he is and you see that, that God is beautiful and he's righteous and he wants you to become like that, then all of a sudden the game changes, the whole thing changes. You start to draw from, from what's right with God and, and his righteousness starts to flow through his spirit out of the vine into you, the branches, all of a sudden, boop, fruit starts to appear on the vine because you're not focusing on what's wrong with you and you're not drawn away from God through shame and how far short that, that you come from all of the fruit of the Spirit. That righteousness, that ability to stand in the presence of God as if you'd never sinned. The ability to gaze on His beauty and His holiness and realize he hasn't put that there as some giant hurdle that you can never jump over. Some barrier so that he can taunt you and go, well, <laughs> this is me, look at that. And this is you. How terrible. God's not like that. God is the ultimate, come on. Behold my son. Look at him. Peter's talking away, Mount of Transfiguration going to build a couple tabernacles, Moses and Elijah, and one for Jesus. And, and God just says, Peter, this is my son. Hear him. He wants you to go. This is my son. He wants to say to you, look at him. Not to compare and feel bad, but to look and draw from him into your life. And as you gaze and keep gazing and fix your eyes upon Jesus and what is right with him, not what is wrong with you and not what is wrong with everybody else, I might add, 
all the temptation today in the world today, and you hear it in conversation after conversation about what is wrong with the world and what is wrong with the church and what is wrong with preachers and what is wrong with, and you fill in the blank, everything from the school system to that job that you have or don't have and your pension and all the rest of it. It's always focusing on what is wrong with everybody in the world, and that never leads you to fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit only comes by focusing on what is right with God and drawing upon that spirit to start to write things in your life and let it flow through there instead of getting it back to front and looking at the tree and all the fruit that's on it's emaciated and there's no love and there's no patience on the tree and I'm going to focus on that. Well, then you're going to fall far short and you're going to tap out. I really want to encourage you this morning. I've got I uh, didn't finish this message last week, and I ain't finishing it this week. Uh, so next week, you know, you're going to have to come back because I'm going to drop the mother bomb on the whole thing. I'm going to write something next week that seriously is so wrong. It's so wrong that uh, and I've, you're going to go back and look at Romans 13 again, and you're going to see something out of that, and we're going to... We're going to look at some stuff next week that uh, I'm, I could go there, but we'd be there all day today. So I'm going to wait till next week, and, and then we are going to look at something that I think is truly amazing, and it will, it will apply to the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I know you're going to be with me on that. I want you to pray with me, because we're out of time here. And then I'm going to make some proclamations that I want you to repeat after me. But right now, I want to give you a chance to ask Jesus into your heart. You say, well, what exactly does that mean? It means that you are asking the only person in the universe that's truly right, that's truly good, to come into your heart. And that means that you will look at him, and you'll start to gaze upon him, and you'll see what's right with him, and that'll overpower what's wrong with you, and your relationship will produce incredible power of the Spirit of God to flow through your life. If you want that, you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I'd like for all of us to pray this together, and then we're going to stand in a moment and make some proclamations. So just say this prayer after me and mean it in your heart. Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus, the righteous one. Come into my heart. I make you the Lord of my life that I can look at you and see what's right with you and get my eyes off of what's wrong with me. I repent of following my own way. I will follow you from this day forward. And I thank you for saving me in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.